Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Well, let's pray as we dig into God's word this morning. Father, would you help us wake up to deep and meaningful life in Jesus as we gather for that purpose this morning? And would your spirit illuminate joy in Christ in greater measure? We pray in his name. Amen. Well, friends, we have all experienced moments of joy in our lives. The moment we walked the aisle at the graduation ceremony, or maybe the moment we danced down the aisle after being introduced as husband and wife for the first time. Maybe it was that phone call you received informing you that you got the job you'd been dreaming about for years. Or maybe it was holding your grandchild or your child for the first time. In those moments, it's as if all is right in the cosmos. Nothing can come against the euphoric emotion that floods our beings as we experience joy. You know this feeling. The world stands still as tears well up and we develop new creases on our faces from smiling bigger than we ever had before. But you also know that these are just moments. Shortly after the world begins to spin again, and the trials of life seem to have a way to smack the smile from our faces. And tears of joy turn to tears of bitterness and frustration or sadness as we realize yet again, we're in the middle of a raging battlefield of all that is good and evil. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also said, take heart. My hope this morning is to point you and me toward a joy that we can run to that exceeds all other experiences of joy that we've ever had. A joy that turns weeping into laughter, a joy that shines light on all the dark places in our hearts, a joy that is a never-ending fountain of living water, and a joy that is the bread of life, supplying more sustenance than a lifetime supply of the freshest baked bread or all-you-can-eat buffet. A joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ, and a joy that will overcome evil and last for all eternity. A joy that comes down into the mess. So this morning, we will look at a very familiar Christmas passage in Matthew chapter 2. And we'll turn on the searchlight of our hearts and hunt for joy together. As we begin this morning, I want you to hold your Bible with both hands. Maybe it's your your physical Bible or maybe it's a cell phone, but let's acknowledge together that we have the words of life in our grasp. And let's open them to Matthew chapter 2. We'll read together in just a moment, but first let me give you a quick roadmap. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to send you one. Just email us and we will get one to you. So here's our roadmap. Matthew 2 is the story of three wise men, two very different kings, and one joy that far exceeds 
all other joys. This story involves three key geographical regions, Jerusalem or Judea as the text refers to it, the east, most likely Persia, approximately 1,000 miles from Jerusalem, and a little town seven miles outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. There are five main characters in our story. We're going to look at King Herod the Great, Jesus, born King of the Jews, and three wise men from the east. First, we'll make some observations about Jesus's entry into the world via the town of Bethlehem. Then we'll look at King Herod the Great and ask the question, what was he searching for and did he find it? And then we'll look at these three wise men. What were they searching for and did they find it? Lastly, we will examine our hearts and we will ask ourselves the question, what are we searching for and how can we find it? Friends, this is a story all about joy and how to find it. Before we read, I want to have a disclaimer here. I want, I want to ask you guys to set aside just for a moment, just for this morning, the classic image of the manger scene that we all have become familiar with. You know the one. I'll show you a picture here. Stables, manger, animals, wise men, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, shepherds, all in the same place at the same time in a glorious scene. There's nothing wrong with this friends, I assure you. I love that you all have manger scenes like this. I love them too. But I want to challenge you to enter into this story with fresh eyes and ears this morning. And imagine what it would have been like for these characters as they were living out this story. You might even be surprised to learn that Jesus' birth story is a little different than we've made it out to be in our Christmas traditions. So let's read together in Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Chase and Jeff both did a fantastic job connecting the birth of Christ to the life of David. If you missed the last two weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those messages on our website or on iTunes. The last two weeks, we learned that Jesus's family tree was pretty messy. We saw that Jesus would come from David's line, but that was a huge mess. David fell into sin. Boredom led to lust, lust led to adultery, adultery led to lies, deceit, fear, and even murder. And there were grave consequences for David's sin. He lost his own infant son. And then, in an incredible act of grace, he received another son named Jedidiah, the beloved of the Lord. And from that son would come Solomon, his name meaning peace. And then several messy generations later, Joseph, who was betrothed to the pregnant Virgin Mary. And then Jesus. Angels began appearing in dreams, first to Joseph in an effort to dispel his fear and embarrassment of being engaged to a woman he did not get pregnant. And then to Mary, calming the terror of being pregnant without ever having lain with a man. It's a roller coaster ride, isn't it? Well, friends, let's hang on and see if we can find joy in it all. So we pick up here in Matthew 2, and we see that Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem. This was prophesied or foretold 700 years before it came to pass. We see this in Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Bethlehem is a small town, roughly seven miles from Jerusalem. Think Edmond to Oklahoma City, but unlike Edmond, Bethlehem has some elevation. Bethlehem was a collection of small, very fertile villages known for growing almonds and olives. It was also fertile because it was built on a massive aquifer. Surrounding regions would pilgrimage to this town in order to drink from its city's pure water. They often called it the sweet water of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is also called the city of David. David was born there and it's where his mighty men lived. David himself longed to drink from the waters of his hometown, Bethlehem. We saw this in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Bethlehem means house of bread in Hebrew and Aramaic. A city known for water and bread 
Didn't Jesus talk about this a lot? I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me, from their hearts will flow rivers of living water. This is crazy, right? Well, speaking of crazy, let's look at our first main character, Herod, also known as Herod the Great. So Matthew says, in the days of Herod over Jerusalem. Now, what was going on in Jerusalem? Verse 1 says that Jesus was born in the days of Herod. So who was Herod? Herod was appointed king of Judea by Roman authorities and would become known as Herod the Great. Why? Well, he was known for advancing the prosperity of Judea. He was building aqueducts, theaters, temples, and other public buildings. He was a man who was searching for the good life and building a kingdom that represented all the good life had to offer. One might say he was searching for joy and trying to build it for others. But Herod was also a man of falsehood and cruelty. This was a king who ordered every infant in Bethlehem under two to be killed after his attempt to find Jesus was thwarted by three wise men. Herod would also father another Herod we know about, Herod Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist and signed off on the execution of Jesus. Now, what about these three wise men? So the wise men came from the east. We know that they traveled from the east, most likely from Persia, which would be modern day Iran. If this is the case, they would have traveled around 1,000 miles on foot to get to Jerusalem, a four month journey. It's like from here to Southern Utah, we make this drive once a year and it's about a 16, 17 hour drive. The wise men were also called magi, which is a priestly term describing kings or wise men in ancient Persia. These men were likely philosophers who studied the stars and who taught their followers to do the same. But perhaps the wisest act of all was their search to better understand the star that appeared over Bethlehem. They believed that when a star rose, it represented a new prince. Their persistence to pay homage to the prince which this star represented was profound. Now, we're not sure if they fully understood the saving grace promised in the prince they sought after. We know this because they were Gentiles. They were not part of the commonwealth of Israel. They were not steeped in the teachings of the Torah or the Old Testament scriptures like the Jews were. But whether they understood that Christ was the Messiah or not, their curiosity would indeed lead them to great joy. And so from here, this story unfolds. Herod and the wise men have a little meetup in Jerusalem. After this 1,000 mile trek, we see in verse two that the wise men begin to ask everyone they meet in Jerusalem this question. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? Can you imagine the strangeness of that question? If you were a Roman citizen, this would, have been a, this would have been strange because you know well that Herod was the king. And if you were a Jew, 
why were these foreigners coming to inform you about the coming Messiah? Surely you would have known if he had been born, right? This, my friends, is the mysterious, scandalous grace that does not relent. News comes to those outside the camp first, to the lost, to the humble, and to the lowly. Verse 3, when he heard all the news at his Herod, he was troubled with all Jerusalem. So what did Herod do? He called for his own wise men to counsel him. Verse 4 says, assembling the chief priests and scribes to find out more about where the Christ was to be born. Their answer was a direct quote from the prophet Micah, in which we read earlier. Side note, when you see quotes inside of your Bible, dig in there. Therein lies amazing threads that connect all of Scripture. If you're looking to wake up to deep, meaningful life in Christ, read more. Okay. Uh, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. These are quotes inside of quotes. They're, t they're quoting the prophet uh, Isaiah here. So what does Herod do with this? He summons these wise men to find out what they knew. At face value, this seems like a wise king, right? But I'm going to propose that he's acting a little more like King Saul here. Do you remember the lengths to which King Saul went to make sure David did not take his place? It drove him crazy. Literally. The Bible says he was mad. So Herod has a chit-chat with these wise men. I can imagine they were just a little concerned when the king summoned them. They were probably elbowing each other and saying, what did you say? I don't know, what did you say? Uh-oh, we must have said something wrong. Who did you offend? Herod comes across seemingly pleasant enough. He wants to know when and how this star appeared. It says he ascertained about when the star appeared and what the star meant. He was asking them to explain what this all meant. And then as they explained, he said, bring me, to the bring me the child at once when you find him so that I too can worship him. We know this was not authentic, but instead of preparing to worship his king, Herod begins planning a manipulative ploy to snuff out any possible adversion to his rule and reign. So question, when did this star appear? This, is sort, this sort of derails our modern day manger scene. We have some clues that help us understand the timeline a bit. Later on in verse 16, it tells us that Herod ordered the killing of all males in Bethlehem two years and under, according to the time he ascertained from the wise men. This means it's likely that Jesus is already around two years old at this point, not the newborn infant that we typically see in the manger. At a minimum, we know that the wise men's journey was around four months. So for sure, Jesus is at least that old. Why does this matter? Let's look again at verses 9 through 10. After being sent away from Herod to find this child, we are told the star that they had seen when it arose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. This likely means there was a second appearing of this star. 
Here's another clue that points to this conclusion. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, I don't know it about you, but I get it. They travel all this way. No one seems to know what they're asking about when they arrive. Maybe they begin to doubt their own journey in pursuit of the prince. And then, boom, the star appears again and begins to move over the place of birth. They rejoice. But as we continue to read, we find out this was just the beginning of their joy. When they arrive at the place where Jesus was, they find him with his mother, and the text says they fell down and worshiped him. Then they opened the treasures that they brought and offered to him three things according to the text, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's a reason these are called treasures. They were treasures both monetarily and symbolically. We'll look at that in just a minute. Now, finally, this story wraps up with another angelic visitation in a dream, warning the men not to return to Herod. This is interesting. Maybe they believed the best about Herod and caught up in their worship and joy. They planned to convince Mary and Joseph to bring the child to him or maybe to bring him to the child. This would have been a disaster because we find that Herod had no desire to worship the one born king of the Jews, but rather he desired to ensure his kingdom would stand by killing Jesus. And so the angels appeared and warned them. It's a powerful story. Uh, and what I want to do next is compare and contrast the wise men's posture and, the, and Herod's posture as they respond to Christ's birth. So let's look briefly at the posture of King Herod's heart and then the posture of the wise man's heart. So King Herod, Herod was troubled. Sound familiar? King Saul, something was threatening to change up his rule and reign. Herod listened to the noise. Jesus was only seven miles from his palace an easy day's journey to a small town. He could have seen firsthand what had happened. Instead, he inquired from all the sources around him, chief priests, scribes, the locals, even interviewing three foreign men who had just traveled four months to find Jesus. Herod responded in fear. Frantically, he searched to control the situation. He feared losing his kingdom to a new king. He devised a scheme to ensure this would not happen. Herod plotted his own plans. Herod was so fearful that he plotted in his heart the murder of this infant child. And later, when that would fail, he ordered the murder of thousands of infants in hopes to hang on to his kingdom. Now let's look at the posture of the wise men and their hearts. The wise men were curious. They were inquisitive, so much so that they were willing to take a great risk and travel for months to find Jesus. They were looking for the source directly. The text doesn't say that the wise men sought counsel from other men or people they worked with. They simply packed up and set foot to find Jesus. I have to believe that they were listening 
to God's leading in their hearts, whether they really knew it or not. The wise men were expectant. They had to believe they would find what they were looking for in order to leave their comfortable place in Persia for the better part of a year, right? Who would do that? They were expectant. The wise men were prepared to worship. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now these would have been sort of standard gifts to bring to a king. Gold as a precious metal, frankincense as a perfume or incense, and myrrh as anointing oil. But some believe these gifts had a far more spiritual symbolism as well. Gold representing kingship, frankincense a symbol of a priestly role, and myrrh a foreshadowing of his death and embalming. They were prepared to worship. They were also fixed on the one they came to worship. Notice they didn't bow down to Herod or offer him gifts. That was only reserved for Jesus. And their worship resulted in exceeding joy. When they saw the star they had been seeking, they rejoiced. They found what they were looking for. This led to a joy-filled, worshipful response when they finally saw Jesus, where the star had rested over. They bowed before Christ and they offered their gifts. Friends, you see, the wise men were captured by one question. Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? And Herod was captured by another question. How do I preserve my own kingdom? God gave the wise men a token of grace in a miraculous star. And when they pursued it, they found joy, exceeding joy, great joy. The star had disappeared for two years and they had wondered what it meant. They asked their question of the very people who should have understood what was happening. Yet the Jews and, King's, and King Herod's hearts were distracted and darkened by their own pursuit of order and control in a land that was promised to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The wise men bowed to Jesus. Herod plotted to kill Jesus. Friends, when fear runs its playbook, it does not end well. Remember what happened to Saul and his kingdom? Or what about David when he found out his sin had led to an illegitimate child? Deception, plotting, murder ensued. Side note here, I wonder if anyone else in Jerusalem or Bethlehem noticed this star. It was a miraculous star, right? Or were they too distracted by preserving their own way of life to even notice that something far better had come into the world than what they were fixed upon? Friends, what about you? How are you doing right now? What is your response as you hear this news about Jesus? What's going on in your heart right now as you hear this story and ponder your own response to Jesus' birth? Friends, have you been distracted during this season? I know I have. Plotting and scheming for your own kingdom, looking to control what's happening around you. Man, what a crazy time we're in, right? But don't miss the good news. Jesus has come to bring joy we have something greater 
than a moving star pointing to him. We have the very words of Christ written down for us to point our hearts toward his saving grace. Friends, what have you done in this season to prepare your heart to worship the King of Kings? What have you done today, this month, or even this year? What gifts do you have to bring in your time, your talents, and your treasures? When's the last time you rejoiced with exceeding joy? It would do our hurting world wonders to see the people of Christ rejoicing with exceeding joy right now. How are you experiencing God's direction for your life? The scriptures say that if you seek him, you will find him. Isn't this a powerful story? The wise men sought him and they found him. Two weeks ago when we studied David's sin with Bathsheba, Chase pointed us to Psalm 32. And in these words, we see that as believers, even in our sin, we can cry out for direction and find joy. Let's read a portion of Psalm 32. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. For many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. What encouraging words we see from David, even in the midst of his sin. Friends, we will discover that joy can and will be found in greatest measure when we embrace and we worship the only one who can truly give it. And when we find joy in Christ, it ought to cause us to shout for joy. When's the last time you shouted for joy? In this life, we will still have trouble we're still living in a messy time, but take heart, as Christ says. We'll also continue to experience moments of joy. Moments of joy in our children, in weddings, in home runs, in touchdowns, in a fabulous meal. But these are all just a small taste of the eternal joy available right now in Christ Jesus. Scripture also says to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So friends, what are you seeking right now? Let's seek Jesus like the wise men did. Lasting joy comes when we point the searchlight of our hearts toward Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this familiar Christmas story. Thank you uh, that your spirit illuminates joy in your text, illuminates life that we have in Christ. And Father, I pray for anybody right now who's been listening to this message, 
who has had a hard time finding joy or maybe doesn't know you at all. Father, would you intersect their lives right now as we pray? Would you cause them to turn the searchlight of their hearts toward you and to put their trust and their faith in you? And then would you answer the cry of their hearts to experience joy in greater measure in Christ Jesus? Amen.